Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn move related show on the planet at the John Cavis Show. Cody from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, and all sorts of good things. And ladies and gentlemen, himself, coming down from Olympia, he's our very own god of war. He's the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how you doing today, sir? John, I'm I'm elated after we saw Eternals. Uh, I have much many thoughts. Uh, and we are going to get to your thoughts in just a little bit. It was really fun watching the movie with you last night. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's something Rob and I did. We went out to go watch Eternals last night. Rob's going to talk a little bit about his impressions of the film. And we got a few other things we're going to talk about because here's how today's show is going to go, guys. We break it down into two parts. In the first half of the show, we're going to take some predetermined topics. And then the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. If you've got a comment or question that you'd like to have read on the show or an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description. Just click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on a show, of course, if it's appropriate for our show. And of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campia Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. One other bit of housekeeping here, guys. Don't forget, if you need your daily fix of the John Campia Show, but you can't always have a YouTube video on in front of you, good news, there's an audio-only version of the show called the John Campia Show Podcast that you can go and subscribe to on your favorite podcasting choice of app. Whatever podcasting app you use, just search for the John Campia Show Podcast. Go subscribe to it so when you're commuting or at the gym or at work or whatever, the show is there when you need it. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way, Let's dive into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topic? It's easy. You guys come up with our main topics. See, whenever you come across a big story, topic, or issue that you guys think we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show. Again, uh, if we think it's worth doing here on the show. So maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campius Show. That down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Martin. And Martin writes, Hey, John and Rob. We all know Rob has been hyped for Eternals, and now that he has seen it, and John, you've seen it a second time and had the opportunity to reflect on it, what do you think now? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Martin. And yes, of course, last night I had my second chance, my second opportunity to go and watch Eternals. I saw it for the second time yesterday. But more important than that, one Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett went ahead and saw it with me. So he had his first experience with it. For those of you who don't know, I did put together a little video of uh, us coming out of the theater and Rob's reaction. It's up on the channel right now. So you can go and check that out a little bit later. But Generally speaking, across the board, the reviews, or not reviews, the reactions, the reactions for Eternals have all been pretty much across the board positive. I mean, I, I can't think of any real strong negative ones, like a lot of them calling it epic, sweeping, all this kind of stuff, a lot of dope. Uh, you know, initial, you know, there's some superhero heist, initial Eternal critic reactions offer mostly the highest of praise and blah, blah, blah. But it's a dense movie. You know, we talked about this the other day. It's a dense movie. There's a lot to unpack. I'm not a thousand percent sure how general how how the average Marvel movie fan 
is going to react to it because this does not feel like a Marvel movie to me. I've said that a few times. It feels like a Chloe Zhao movie, a very different kind of DNA. Because you guys know, I've said this before, Marvel films are all radically different. Like one movie can be a political thriller. One movie can be borderline horror. One movie can be all comedy. One movie can be a straight up action flip. I mean, they do a lot, a really good job of varying it up. But at the end of the day, it all has the Marvel DNA. And so when you walk out of it, even though like Ant-Man and Winter Soldier are completely different films, you still walk out feeling like you've watched a Marvel film. And that's a good thing. And you don't get that feeling walking out of Eternals. It's very different. So I'm very curious to see how a lot of these folks, uh, the average folks are going to feel. But generally speaking, the people who've seen it are feeling pretty good. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks at Superhero Hyper, right? With its massive ensemble cast of characters, uh, mostly new to the general public, art house director issuing special effects where, uh, where she could, and stories seemingly unrelated to the Avengers' adventures, Eternals seemed like a bigger-than-usual risk for Marvel Studios. Judging by the Eternals' critical reactions coming out of the junket, uh, the junket press and trades at the premiere Monday night, however, it paid off. Save a mini controversy involving a variety spoiling certain details. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday. Uh, Director Chloe Zhao and the cast remain critical darlings. And of course, that comes to us from superhero hype. So, Rob, it it's generally going over well. They are critical darlings, but nobody cares if the critical darlings. They care about what Robert Meyer Burnett thought about it. And I'll tell you what, so did I, because... You know, I watched the film, a lot to process, and you were the first person I want to talk to about about it, but you hadn't seen it yet, because, you know, the, you go all the way back, you're you're somebody who appreciates the Jack Kirby era, you understand the Eternals, and I was really dying to tell you, and I told you going in, I said, I had no idea if you were going to absolutely hate this movie, if you are going to absolutely love it, if you're going to fall somewhere in between, but I really wanted to know what you think. So, Rob, you saw Eternals. What'd you think? Well, I will say this, uh, you know, I've got to be careful what I say, but I, it, it's been a long time since I haven't stopped thinking about a movie. And my first thoughts are, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all of the characters that we've seen so far, with maybe the possible exception of Shang-Chi, but I grew up reading Master of Kung Fu comics, so I knew about Shang-Chi, but everyone knows the characters, whether you've watched them in animation or read the comic books, everyone knows Spider-Man. Spider-Man was on the electric company. You know, uh, the, the, so these characters are very familiar to most people. And they understand what kinds of stories they're going to get. The Eternals, while, yes, they have been in comic book form and the characters have interacted with the, the greater Marvel Universe over the years – they don't have any real definitive story that anybody can point to. Even comic book fans would be hard-pressed to go, what are the Eternals exactly? Now, what they are is they're, uh, you'll notice in the credits of this movie, um, uh, Jack Kirby gets a singular created by credit, which I thought kudos to Marvel for putting that in there in the credits. I mean, it flat out says, I think like in Blade, it said Blade later was created by Marvel Wolfman, but it really was nice to see Jack Kirby acknowledged straight up in the credits because, you know, this is such a product of his imagination. And Kirby had these giant, crazy 
cosmological ideas about the cosmos and things. I mean, there's a reason why they picked him to adapt 2001, a, a space odyssey. Um, and, and that said, this film really, while it's set in the Marvel universe, it doesn't really have to do with the principal Marvel universe as we know it. What it's dealing with is the larger universe that the MCU exists within. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And and there's a cosmology here that I absolutely loved and it reminded me of many different it touched on things from some of my favorite and some of your favorite science fiction films in kind of weird ways. There's a little taste of Highlander in this movie. Um, and I think I know how Chloe Zhao pitched the film. And, you know, when I came out of the movie, I said to you, this movie reminds me of Ridley Scott's Prometheus. And I've heard somebody tweeted to me because of your video, John, saying that um, that one of the producers talked about how Chloe Zhao talked about Prometheus a lot. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, it's interesting. I did not know that when I said this movie was like Prometheus. But the most I'm going to say about Eternals other than the fact I loved it is here. I know how Chloe Zhao pitched this movie to Kevin Feige. And I bet Kevin Feige was the only person in Hollywood who's like, Oh, I totally get that. Here's Chloe Zhao's pitch for Eternals. She said, what if we did Ridley Scott's Prometheus, but the story was told from the engineer's point of view. That mm. was her pitch. And and I'm sure I'm sure Kevin Feige went. That's a great idea. Now I'm going to leave everyone to tell me whether I'm right or wrong about that. But if you watch Prometheus and you see like what what the cave paintings on the wall and all that, there's definitely some some DNA in the movie in Eternals, and I loved it for that reason. And beyond that, it did what. Prometheus failed to do Prometheus touched on all of these ideas, but didn't know what to do with them. Whereas Eternals took all of these ideas and added an overarching cosmology to the Marvel cinematic universe that has already been there in the comics. It's already been touched on the MCU multiple times, but they did it in such a way that they wrapped everything. It's pretty audacious from that standpoint. And I look at Eternals as a straight up uh, thoughtful science fiction movie. If this movie was not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I could see Christopher Nolan directing this movie. Mm. I could have seen Ridley Scott making this movie or somebody else because that's what this movie is. This movie deals with big ideas. It goes back to the ideas of ancient astronauts like Eric Von Donegan's Chariots of the Gods, which was something Ridley Scott touched on. But I think that Prometheus wasn't as effective. And, you know, when I was watching this movie, John, uh, for the first half, I, I was enjoying it, but I wasn't connecting with it the way that I wanted to connect with it. And then there was a point. I can tell you exactly when it was, but I'm not I, going I to. I think I know exactly where, what point it was, too. Where Where I'm like... Oh, and then I was totally, fully invested in this. And then it went on and took an interesting turn that I wasn't expecting. And by the time the movie was over, 
I felt that there was a lyricism and a poeticism. I know I'm making this movie sound like it's, <laughs> it's wildly entertaining, but that's how I felt about it. And when it was over, I think it joins in my mind the pantheon of not not necessarily great comic book movies, but great science fiction films. And kudos to Chloe Zhao for doing that, because unlike Prometheus, she was credited on the script for this movie. And I really think that that's why she probably went in and I understand how she pitched this movie. And I think that she made the movie the the exact movie she wanted to make. And kudos to Kevin Feige and uh, Louis Desposito and Victoria Alonso for letting her make the movie she wanted to make because there's things in this movie that are pretty audacious. And if you really think about what they're saying, it takes the Marvel Universe to a whole new level. And I, for one, can't wait to see the ramifications. And also, if you know your comics lore, there's a lot of impact to the future of the Avengers here, potentially, potentially, depending on what they, how they go. So if you had to sum up in one sentence what you thought about the movie, how, how would you describe it? Or not, not I, just, no, no, don't describe it. How would you describe your feelings about the movie? I, I feel it is a tremendously, like I said, a tremendously lyrical, poetic, yet wildly entertaining action-packed and thoughtful science fiction saga and i'll tell you what right up until we walked out of the theater i wasn't sure like i saw you getting giddy during the credits and the end credits stuff which we won't touch on here yeah but i mean i honestly didn't know i, I had no idea right till when we walked out of the theater i'm like i don't know what rob thought about this movie and then i asked you and you're like dude i love this movie yeah in the middle <laughs> of the credits in the middle of the credits i told you I told you how much I loved it. And then I said to you, I said, there's one thing that has to happen at the end of this movie now. And then that happened. And that happened. <laughs> I <remember laughs> and, I, I was, and that was another thing is that it, it totally, but then something happened that I didn't expect that left me going, oh, I mean, there's something really, really deep that happens I don't want to say what it is. But yeah, we can't you, say what it is. Yeah. And I can't what what made me it made me think like I don't quite know what the ramifications are, but it sets up something really interesting for another Marvel property not many people are talking about yet. Right. And so I yeah, and, and like I said, I'm still personally I'm still unpacking a lot of it even after watching a second thing and th what the movie does for me though and I, I talked to you about this a little bit, and we can't go into any details in the film. Because one of the criticisms that I have, and you saw the one part that I said was, there's a part, there's a CGI element in this movie that happens at oh. a certain time that is just terrible. And you you picked it out right away, what it was. Dude. When it happened, that was awful. But we won't, we won't talk about what it was. It's just that it, there was a really bad CGI moment in the film. But one of my criticisms about the film I will say this is really not a criticism about the movie. It's a criticism about the MCU as a whole, which, you know, Rob, you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show started. And for those of you who watch me for a period of time, you'll, you will remember, I've said this for years now. I said, my one concern about the Marvel cinematic universe is it's getting way overpopulated. And I've said for years that, you know, one of the things that used to make the older superhero films so special and even the early MCU films so special was the sense of awe and wonder of the extraordinary within the mundane. When Sam mm -hmm. Raimi made Spider-Man, the world in that world, the world had never seen anything like Spider-Man. 
this guy with this super strength and speed and agility and like the world hadn't seen it. The world was in awe and wonder as there's this extraordinary thing, Spider-Man, within the mundane, the world that he lived in. Same with Christopher Reeves' Superman. Hell, even with Iron Man. You know, Iron Man, there was an awe and wonder to what Iron Man was and what he was doing with this suit. The world was astonished. Or when, when Thor showed up. And I, I've been saying for a while that one of my worries about shared cinematic universe and the ever-expanding MCU is that it's going to feel like every 7-Eleven on every street corner is going to have four superheroes sitting on the roof patrolling for crime. There's nothing special anymore in the MCU. And in this movie, there's a part that you see in the trailer, all right? So I'm just talking about a part you guys have seen in the trailer. There's a part where you see in the trailer where like a bus flips over and, you know, Gemma Chan turns the bus into all just rose petals and then Kit Harrington is saying, why didn't you guys help fight Thanos or anything like that? What really stood out to me was within this Marvel Cinematic Universe world on screen, within this world, nobody was fascinated anymore. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, there was a giant monster running around the streets in the streets of London. Not a big deal. We see this every day. You know, even the, the Kit Harrington seeing Gemma Chan, is like, oh, so oh, so you, you have superpowers. Okay, well, hey, uh, why did, I didn't see you guys helping uh, fight that. Like, there's no sense of awe and wonder anymore in the MCU because it's so overpopulated. It's so overpacked. There are so like everybody has a next door neighbor on their block that has superpowers in the MCU now, and nobody's astonished or anything anymore. There's even something that happens at the end, which we will not say that should have been like a mind exploding, exploding moment. That was really kind of reacted to by a lot of people dwelling that world's like, oh my gosh, did you see that? (laughs) Because it's it's what they're doing in the MCU now. And to me, again, that's not a criticism of the movie. It's really more of of a manifestation of a worry that I have about the universe as a whole moving forward. And it's only about to get bigger, Rob. You know, we got X Men coming, Fantastic Four coming, a lot more characters coming down the pipe. How did you feel about that? Did you feel that at all? Or do you think I'm like really being way over too sensitive about it? How do you think? Well, you know, I would say I would say this. Um, The Marvel Cinematic Universe is now creating levels of reality itself within its own universe. And I think like there's even something that happens in this movie we were talking about that should profoundly affect every human being on Earth, theoretically, more so than even Thanos's snap, because people didn't know that well, who Thanos was. You know, they just disappeared. <laughs> like if you were in, living in Seattle, like if my mom was snapped away, she would be like, what happened? And then she would come back into our townhouse wondering, where did I go? How did that occur? So people didn't really know what was happening. But after Thanos's snap and after things like what happened in WandaVision, once it's all reported on the news, that the people of Earth have to be profoundly affected by the fact that they didn't just realize, they didn't just learn odd, uh, aliens exist in the Battle of New York, but but now they realize that the universe is a far stranger, far more, uh, like our vision of the universe, even the vision of the world's religions are not big enough to encompass what's really out there. And how does that profoundly affect the universe that the Marvel the, that, I mean, I think they need to do a Marvel series now 
about how mankind has been affected by this. Kind of like, you know, one of my favorite Marvel series was a, a series called Marvels that was painted by Alex Ross. And it was really all told from this perspective of human beings who were having to deal with a world where superheroes existed. I think now the Marvel Cinematic Universe needs to do a series. And I don't know what that series would be. We talked about maybe a version of the X-Files from, from what came out of WandaVision. Right. I think they need something like that. That it, the purpose of it is to show how has mankind been affected by in a very short period of time learning about everything that's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because I agree with you. The universe is becoming to the point where when you have monsters running around the streets of major American cities and you have weird earthquakes and you have all this crazy stuff happening, how does that affect us as human beings? And I think it's getting to the point where unless we understand that, and that's what WandaVision did really well. It showed the perspective of us on the ground, like what is going on here? What's happening? What's with this anomaly? What's happening here? We need more of that. I think they need to do an entire series about this because un uh, if they don't do that, then the same thing is going to happen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that happened to the Matrix sequels, where the people, the human beings in the Matrix, Matrix cease to matter, which means the stakes go away. If the regular man on the street no longer matters and no longer feels a sense of wonder in the mundane, well, then you've lost what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. And all of these heroes are supposed to protect mankind, but if everyone on earth is a super being or is aware of super beings or whatever, then the super beings cease to be super. Yeah. And again, it's that, that little sense of, it's amazing when we get to watch some of these films and like the, uh, uh, an average character sees one of these beings, right. And the awe and wonder and the fantastic nature of it that they feel we as the audience then feel it through them as our vessels on screen, as our avatars on screen. And when that gets lost, we lose it again, not a criticism of the Eternals. It's just that the Eternals really is starting to reflect that overall problem in the MCU. And I hope they find a way to kind of uh, correct that a little bit. But anyway, guys, Rob, I love the fact that you loved it. I'm so happy that you had a good time with it. The question is for you guys. Where's your expectations right now for Eternals? We're getting closer to its release date. However you guys are feeling, jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic. Rob, what is our second main topic today? Well, our second main topic comes to us from Kyle. Hey, John. So putting it lightly, fandom this year, as we all know, was a dud. But what baffles me more is the Flash Season 8 trailer was just released on Tuesday, a few days after fandom. Why didn't this release at fandom? This shows the further incompetence of this year's event, in my opinion. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Well, John, I have to tell you, I was a little baffled by this as well. But I think the the easy answer, the simplest answer, the Occam's razor answer would be that the trailer wasn't ready. There was probably visual effect shots they couldn't they just couldn't complete on time because they've been shooting flash and they're 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 maybe they're not ready, but although it's getting I don't know when the debut date is coming up, right? Um I, I was a little baffled by this too, and I think that maybe the fandom event they they wanted it to happen now for some particular reason, which I'm not really sure about. But it did seem odd that mere days after fandom, they dropped uh, the trailer for arguably the 
the I've always thought Flash more so than Arrow was the cornerstone of the CW Arrowverse, and it's kind of their signature show. And I was very surprised by this. And Digital Spy says the Flash has teased more details of the upcoming eighth season in its first full trailer. The CW dropped the new trailer today, October nineteenth, showing Grant Gustin's Flash teaming up with characters from throughout the Arrowverse. Season eight is kicking off with a five-episode event on November sixteenth, with episodes becoming available to stream on the CW the following day. The first arc is titled Armageddon. Now I want to point out, you know, DC did a big Armageddon series in the comics. And I, you know, they haven't really necessarily built this as the same crossover over event that they had in previous years, like Earth X and all that, but and Crisis on Infinite Earths. But I'm, you know, I'm really excited for it. I was like, I'll tune in. You know, if they're going to touch on Armageddon, I like that storyline. So I'm stoked. What about you? Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, Rob. I don't buy the theory that the trailer just wasn't ready. They've well, known. Well, they, they, well, six years the thing. They've known. When DC fandom was. Right. And I, I watched the trailer for Flash season eight. That was not some high piece of art that's like, no, it's not quite right yet. We need 48 more hours to bring this trailer to perfection. It was, it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it looks stupid. I, I, I thought it looked stupid. <laughs> I've, I've kind of fallen off the, the Flash train. I have loved this show. And like seven years from now, when I look back on shows that I watched in this era, I will remember Flash fondly. I have really enjoyed this show, but I have fallen off it now. It's, uh, you know, last season was just, yeah, that was it for me. I didn't even finish last season, to be honest with you. I got a few episodes into last season. I kind of gave up on it. But the, the bigger thing here, though, is, Rob, that they're asking. This is not a trailer that took them three months to put together. <laughs> right. This was true. this was like random clips from the upcoming show and slap it together and put it in, and it was fine. It's fine. But I don't buy that two and a half months ago when they knew when the date of DC Fandom was, they couldn't have had that or something very similar ready to launch. And Robert raises the question. Because the day after DC Fandom, do you remember this? Story got released, that of a new casting in the Batgirl movie and confirming that J.K. Simmons was going to be Commissioner Gordon in it and all that kind right. of stuff, which somebody wrote into me and said, well, wait a minute. What, why didn't they announce that at DC Fandom less than 24 hours ago? And now here we are just a little bit later, and we're asking now the question, wait, you got this Flash thing, and... You didn't talk about it at DC Fandom? The the event that's supposed to be, hey, everybody, this is the once a year. Get the family together. Come on, all DC fans are your time. Golden boots, everybody. Golden boots. They're sitting on a trailer for, for, for people who are still diehard fans of the show. They are sitting on a trailer with a first look of Flash Season 8 at DC Fandom. And their way of thanking everybody for tuning in was not to show it to them. Say, now you're going to have to wait for a couple of days, which raises the question. What was the point of DC fandom? And I, and I don't, I don't even ask that sarcastically, Rob. I don't, I don't even ask that sarcastically. I legitimately am now starting to wonder what was the point? Like last year at DC fandom, it was clear that was an event for the fans. They delivered last year and maybe, 
they set themselves up for failure because last year's event was so good. I mean, it's not right. as good as an in-person Comic-Con or anything, but for a, a digital event, the first one they did, they knocked it out of the park. They did it about as well as you could have done it last year. But this year, the more I reflect on that train wreck of an event is what was the point? Like, you're not going to even tell them all the news that you have to share. Yeah, no, no, we'll share that news tomorrow. We're talking about Batgirl on DC Fandom. Tell people about the new characters. Tell people about, you know, J.K. Simmons. Have J.K. Simmons give a little hello message or something like that. Nah, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll release that on deadline tomorrow. They're sitting on, they've got the Flash fans there, Rob. They're sitting on the first look at Season 8. Nah, nah, Wednesday. Let's show it to them Wednesday. <laughs> what did you think that the thinking was then behind that? Like, that, why, why bother? That That's the question. See, I see this pop up, and the question is, what was the point? Why bother? Like, if I, I feel like the people in charge over there were like, well, DC Fandom was a big hit last year. We need to do it again. But they never, I felt like the way they organized it last year, they knew why they were doing that event. They knew what they were trying to accomplish. They knew what they were, they were trying to hype up the DC community. They were trying to hype everybody up, showing like creating a virtual Comic-Con to give everybody these huge experiences. And this year I just felt like they had no idea what the point of this thing was. Are, are we here to promote new brand deals with Puma and Dove Soap and Cam Newton's hats? And are we here to promote this well yeah but let's not actually show them anything like look they knew that people were tuning in to hear them talk about not the tv show the flash movie they wanted to hear them talk about the flash movie they didn't even bother to talk about the flash movie they literally put up a one minute clip in the full almost almost four hour event they did one minute of the flash movie this movie that's supposed to be this huge, pivotal, upcoming event that will help and influence and shape the direction of the entire DCEU thing to come. And they didn't even talk about it. From the TV side, you have pretty much now that Arrow isn't there, Flash is your cornerstone show right now. That's it. And you had in your back pocket the first look at the new season. You begged the fans to come and tune into this live stream and you didn't show it to them. You just kept it in your pocket. Say, now you'll wait. So it just, <laughs> so Rob, you asked me, what was their thinking behind it? I don't have an answer for it. It has honestly just left me wondering, what was the point of DC fandom? What were they trying to do? And I, I wouldn't feel this way if like they dropped this trailer of Flash three weeks from now, right? If, if like, but the very fact that the Batgirl news came out the next day, then like 48 hours later, the first look at Flash season eight comes out. I, I don't, I don't know. Do you got a theory, Rob? I, I mean, about why like that news comes out after it, the new trailer comes out after it. Like what, what do you think as you reflect now on DC fandom this year, why did they do it? What was the point? What was their philosophy of making DC fandom this year? Do you think? Well, look, I think on, on one hand, I would say this. We got really intriguing looks. The Flash. I mean, the movie The Flash. Uh, Aquaman. Shazam. Fury of the Gods. Black Adam. So there was enough there that I can understand why they went forward. But I think like everything else, I don't think that people are really thorough anymore. And honestly, I can't believe that 
there was not that that trailer that dropped for the Flash, the CW Flash, that that wasn't something that people like why didn't somebody who's on the production staff the flash call up and go hey shouldn't we like why wasn't that in there are they trying to downplay i i i really don't understand to me to me it just screams of incompetence and incompetence like i'm telling you uh i like marketing people but sometimes marketing people are are spending too much time looking at spreadsheets and thinking about analytics and not doing their jobs marketing people need to think out of the box they need to be more like Don Draper. And Fandom is a marketing event. And if anything, I would think about, okay, what what is it? Here's everything that we're going to promote that's upcoming in the DC universe. Wouldn't the eighth season of The Flash be pretty much at the top of that list? Especially if they're doing a crossover event with the Arrow, the rest of the Arrowverse. And obviously either... It, it, to me, it's a failure in some some part of the supply chain to to, to be topical <laughs> about it, and I don't get it. But I I don't think that. Uh, look, I think we live in a world now, John, where a lot of people are not being encouraged because we live in a corporate environment. That there are people that might be like, you know, maybe we should touch upon this. Well, no one's told you anything about that. Maybe you shouldn't say a word because maybe it's beyond our pay grade. Oh, okay. <laughs> And nobody says something when really the idea should be marketing people should be the first people to be thinking out of the box. And and I think our corporate culture might have something to do with all of this. And then you get you get events that are sort of half baked. And I mean, look, fandom is so it's so between Star Trek Day and DC fandom, they are so overthought and they are so like you know people watch youtube channels like ours john because we're off the cuff Mm. you know you do plan you're like okay here's here's the topics we're going to discuss but you never send me a a talking points list going well rob i know we both saw eternals but i don't want you to mess it up so here's your talking points you never send me that and the reason that people watch these shows is because we're speaking off the cuff we're speaking from the heart and if Star Trek Day and DC fandom have taught us nothing else, that my God, I mean, there is no candidness at all in any of these events. They are so constructed and so overbaked that that part of the energy that all the hosts should be the 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 interstitials with the people and the stars and the the they should be just as much fun as seeing a trailer, and they're not. They're 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 bereft of any kind of spontaneity or any energy. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, it's it's funny because on that point, like everybody knows I'm not the biggest Gal Gadot fan in the world, but she shone last year at DC Fandom. Like when when they did the whole Wonder Woman 84 panel, now Wonder Woman 84 didn't turn out to be that great, but still when they were doing the Wonder Woman 84 panel at DC Fandom last year, like Gal Gadot understood I'm the lead of this film everybody's gonna be looked at me I'm gonna lead the charge for hyping people up and being excited about it and when you're watching Gal Gadot last year it's like she emanated this joy like I am so excited about this project and I'm so excited for you to see this project and let's talk about it for whatever and there, there was a sense, because Rob, you keep using the word marketing and I think you nailed it on the head because DC fandom to me last year <clears throat> did not feel like marketing. No. It was marketing, 
but it didn't feel like marketing. It felt like the DC community was coming to say, let's, let's show you some stuff, but we're also going to tell you about it. We're going to talk about it. We're all going to, you know, we're all just going to soak in this together, whether it's James Gunn doing his thing or the big Matt Reeves presentation or the Wonder Woman 84 thing or whatever. They just had, there was, it, there was a sense of they truly were getting together to celebrate this stuff this year. Granted, it was less time, but that's not that big of a factor because out of the four hours, three hours was filler. I mean, three and a half hours was filler. This year was just, hey guys, here's our first look at Black Adam. Now, here's our first look at Flash. And it's like, okay, you could have just dropped that on YouTube. There was no need for a special event, whereas last year was, okay, here's our look at this. Now let's talk about it. Let's dive into it. Let's talk about what we were thinking. Let's talk about what it is we're trying to give to you guys. And blah. This year, it's like, here's our one-minute clip. Boom. Next item. Here's our this. And it was just, you could have just dropped four or five things on YouTube. The, the Shazam stuff, the Flash stuff, the Aquaman stuff, Batman, obviously. You could have just dropped those on YouTube over a couple of days. I just don't get it never felt like the event was needed, unlike last year, which did. So I hope they learned some lessons here. And all I can say is I feel for people who are still really watching The Flash because that's got to be frustrating. You tuned in to watch for maybe your favorite DC show. And all they can say is golden boots, everybody. Yay, season eight's coming and then move on only to find out that they, were, they had a trailer. They had the first look at footage from season eight. They just didn't want to show it to you. I think that's frustrating. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this whole thing? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Nathan Billups, who writes, Greetings, John and Robert. Marvel has put out a lot of surprise hits, but I think the biggest one in the MCU has been Guardians of the Galaxy. I love these movies and just saw Chris Pratt say that they've already started shooting Guardians of the Galaxy 3. James Gunn also said that Guardians 3 hasn't been delayed, unlike all the other projects. What do you think or why do you think that is? And are you excited that it started shooting? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that, that uh, in, Nathan. And yes, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy for sure is kind of the poster child. Um is the poster child for Marvel having the ability to surprise everybody because everybody forgets now because Guardians of the Galaxy is a big hit now. But when they announced that they were doing Guardians of the Galaxy, everybody was like, who? They're doing what? And everybody kind of questioned Kevin Feige and Disney and Marvel's sanity you know, building off the big hits that they had been building up with, with these established iconic characters. And then they were going to do Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, everybody today rewrites history and say, oh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, big hit. But they don't they forget what a huge risk that was. That was a massive roll of the dice. And it was the first time in a while that like either DC or Marvel really came out of the gate with a complete unknown set of characters on a big budget, now in outer space, all this kind of stuff, and it was huge. And it ended up being fantastic. Guardians of the Galaxy is amazing. Now, I like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Rob, as much, like maybe even nearly as much as the first Guardians of the Galaxy. It was still good. I still liked it. Mary Poppins, y'all. But uh, I thought it was a bit of a step down. But I was super excited. And Rob, 
One of the other reasons I think we should be talking about this is the James Gunn element, but we'll get to that in a second. This comes to us from the folks over coming soon who write, following the recent casting of Will Poulter as fan favorite Marvel hero, hero Adam Warlock, Guardians of the Galaxy star Chris Pratt took to Twitter to reveal that production on James Gunn's long-awaited third installment has finally begun after four years since the premiere of the sequel. Despite Marvel Studios' recent release date delays on other MCU films, Gunn has confirmed that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will still be keeping its May 5th, 2023 theatrical release date as planned. All right. Rob, you know, when I see that a movie we call the tangibilization when i see a movie started production it's like oh now it's real right right but i'll tell you what my mind instantly went to when and there you know chris pratt put a video of himself sitting in a in a getting ready to go on set chair and his hair when i saw chris pratt saying we're on set of guardians of the galaxy 3 we started shooting my mind instantly went back a couple of years ago to the you know the the bomb that dropped about disney and james gunn has had parted ways about that that whole drama that went on with tweet uh, with uh james gunn the old tweets alan horn uh you know all that kind of stuff and that whole drama and how much of a shock that was to the fan community world it's like are you kidding me you've you you fired james gunn over 10 year old tweets but 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 that aside it was a major shift in and and really the first big blemish on this huge happy mcu marvel family portrait that they had been painting and it was like it was the first kind of cracks in the concrete and it it was really weird and so i couldn't help but think of that today rob as i watched chris pratt in that chair saying Oh, yeah, the Guardians 3 with James Gunn, we start shooting today. Because that was a long, weird journey they went on on that. As far as the whole part about the fact that they Guardians 3 is like one of the only projects they have that didn't get moved. Because remember, yesterday we talked about how Marvel has moved like almost everything that they everything on their release schedule. Guardians didn't. Rob, my only theory on this as to why guardians didn't get budged at all was that maybe guardians three is the most disconnected of all the upcoming movies like yeah this you know dr strange has to come out before this comes out before this comes out before this comes out therefore if one moves you kind of got to move all of them blah. this kind of hints to me maybe that guardians three is probably more of a truly standalone film where it doesn't really matter where it falls in terms of the other films again i'm just speculating on that but hey rob let me put it to you number one what do you think about the fact that guardians three kind of snuck up on us by surprise came out of nowhere and is now actually in production but secondly, why do you think it became like the movie that didn't get moved when a lot of the other ones did? Well, first of all, I wouldn't say it snuck up on us because that script was finished years Ages ago. ago. Yeah. And and, you know, that the fact that they brought James Gunn back as a director and we know he finished his work on Peacemaker and Suicide Squad's come out. So to me, it's only it's only and he's been talking about it in social media that he's starting up again. And um so I don't think it's come out of nowhere. And I think that, um, th- that first of all, I think it's just far enough out that they 
they didn't it, it can keep its date because it's beyond the movies they're moving i don't think they've pushed a movie past it have they i don't think so i don't think so so i think that that date was the date that they were like leaning up against because they've already announced it so they figured yeah we can it might have something i mean i would say that after um eternals it would be very interesting i would imagine that somehow guardians 3 has to have some kind of a tenuous connection to well it, i mean we what perhaps. we can say what we can say because it's already public knowledge we know that celestials are in eternals they show that in the, right. in the trailers in guardians of the galaxy uh, there are two major references to Celestials. Number one, mm-hmm. nowhere is is just a big floating head of a dead Celestial. And, of course, Peter Quill's father was himself a Celestial. Uh, Peter yep. Quill is part Celestial. So there's all, without giving anything from Eternals well, away, we can at least say there's at least that connection a little bit. And also, doesn't the Collector talk about Celestials? Don't we? we we've all also seen that whether it's a video or something where the we actually back of the, of the infinity stones talk. Yes. We saw. Yeah, so we've there. seen that. And also, I mean, there's other, there's other things that we've seen involving celestials that, that speak to stuff that may or may not happen in, in future movies. Right. So, I, and I think the celestials moving forward, as you said to me, you know, you said something really interesting that, that with the Celestials obviously being a presence in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and also we have Kang, and Kang has always been a big bad in the Marvel Universe. We know Kang's in Quantumania. We saw, we saw a version of Kang in, in Loki. Will And Kang has been a frequent Avengers foe. Like, I think they're setting up a number of different threats, potentially, in the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which we will which we will see. I'm very curious because all of these things are much more cosmic in nature. Kang's traveling through realities, the quantum universe, the multiverse, whatever. Celestials obviously were involved with the creation of the universe and are definitely maybe might even exceed the infinity stones. How does potentially Galactus fit into all this? I don't know. But, you know, it's funny to me, John, I... As a middle-aged man close to death, I, I find myself giddy at the prospect of still being excited by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, it, <laughs> it really is like I love Marvel Comics growing up, and to see the comics being translated into these giant on-screen entertainments just writ large on the big screen that just keep getting bigger and bigger, it's kind of neat, man. I mean, it's nice to be excited about something. And I am. I'm ex- still excited about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I- and we've got a n- new Spider-Man movie. What's not to love, dude? Well, the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? The Guardians of the Galaxy 3, uh, we're a long way away from the announcement came that James Gunn and Dis- had left Disney and all that kind of stuff. And yet here we are again. It started shooting also the fact that it's the one film that didn't get moved off its release date. What are you guys thinking about all this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with all that down out of the way let's now move on to start taking your live comments and questions shall we once again if you want to get a live comment or question on the show simply use the tip link down in the description below or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movie blog tv 
slash tip. And thank you to all of you guys who have supported us. By the way, I want to give a shout out during the show. A couple of people have been sending in super chat badges in the live chat. Picky Picks sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Picky Picks, as does S. Joseph 007, Rhett Proctor. Guys, thanks so much for sending in those super chat badges and supporting our channel on that level, guys. We appreciate it very much. Okay. Let's get on over now to your live comments and questions, shall we? We'll get started off here with an anonymous viewer who writes, Everyone keeps talking about Spider-Man villains from Sam Raimi and Mark Webb films crossing universes, but ignoring the fact that they'd also be jumping ahead 20 years in time. Also, Oscorp Tech from 20, 2001 really has nothing on Spidey's Stark Tech from 2021. Uh, that's actually not a bad thought there. It's like, okay... Rob, in Spider-Man 2, Doc Ock had this cutting-edge technology. Well, that's old, antiquated Atari 2600 technology compared to today. By the way, is that your dog in the background I keep hearing? I keep hearing yes, oh, okay. it is my I just, dog. I just want to make sure I wasn't hearing something else from somewhere. Okay, so... No, it's me, and I apologize <laughs> that's, for that. It's all right, it's all right. Um, it's... I, I didn't even think about that. Like, he is literally... He's driving an old, beat-up pontiac sunfire <laughs> coming into your know, car show with a brand new ford mustang mach e right sort of thing i didn't really think of it in that terms what do you think how does that how are they gonna rectify that or do they even worry about addressing it i don't think they need to worry about addressing something like that yeah they probably <laughs> I mean, they, don't i mean it's like you know people sometimes dude people like to be frugal <laughs> there you go or less ostentatious you know it's like it's like um if you're if you're incredibly wealthy does it behoove you to drive you know a hypercar like a Koenigsegg or a lamborghini everywhere you go someone's going to come and and look at your car and wait for you when you go to the grocery store to buy a tube of toothpaste and then when you walk out you get carjacked <laughs> all right let's move on here next up we've got uh haigu gull writes any recommendations for films with young people losing themselves in the city nostalgia feeling? Uh, movies along the lines of Scott Pilgrim, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which has the same actor as Scott Pilgrim, uh, Loser, or Dawson's Creek's last season, although preferably without Michael Sarah. It was Yeah, you mentioned a couple of Michael Sarah things there. Oh, I have no idea. None. I, I don't walk around with those film lists off the top of my head. That's a pretty oh, specific one. ask about young people losing themselves in the city nostalgic. Rob, you got one? Yeah, a movie called Free Enterprise about kids who have an obsession with William Shatner. And get to meet their hero. There you go. That's it's that's that's a deep cut, Rob. I don't know how you pulled that one off. Uh, I don't know how I you wish people I wish people could get it on physical media or streaming, but hey, you know. Soon, soon. I'm sure someday soon. All right. Next one up. Uh we've got Marie Seifring who writes, Hey John and crew. It was good to read a deadline that the IATSE and AMPTP reached a settlement to avoid a strike for now. Uh, good luck to everybody who works in the entertainment industry. Again, it is it is good news. It is good news. But do keep in mind that the union leaders forged the agreement with the producers, but now the union members have to vote to ratify it. Yes. There's a lot of reports saying that the union won't ratify it. I disagree. I think it will get ratified. Um, I think, again, as my real estate agent always told me, the sign of a good deal is that everybody's a little bit unhappy. Uh, I'm sure the producers are a little bit unhappy. I'm sure the union's a little bit unhappy. Uh, but that shows that there was compromise. I think the, the union will 
ratify it. And then if there are, if they discover there are some really big outstanding issues, they'll address it again in three years. But I think it will get ratified. Rob, last time we spoke, you said you thought it was about 50-50. What are you thinking right now? Well, you know, they haven't really unveiled the entire uh, new contract to the members, the constituency. And they've only got the highlights. uh, They've only got the highlights. And I am curious to see how that's going to go. Curious. All right. Um, So it's hard for me to say without reading the actual contract, to be honest. Yeah, it is difficult. All right, next up, sticking on IATSE, Anton Riley writes, so the IATSE deal may not be all done, John. The union needs to vote on this, and so far I'm seeing it's an overwhelming no. I, I'm not seeing that at all. I'm seeing a lot of people complaining about a lot of stuff in it, but I'm not seeing that uh, uh, an, any indication that they're going to vote no on it, but that's just me. Uh, I don't blame them. 10-hour turnaround time sucks, yes, but it's an improvement over what it was. Uh, no one should work 14 hours in any business, no matter how much we all want our content. Um Again, you're looking for improvements. And Rob, the reality is there's a part of you that understands. Like you ask anybody that works on a film set, they understand time is money. You need to move as fast as you can, and that will equal long days. And that's part of the gig. But you have to make it manageable. You have to make it so it actually works. And while the 10-hour turnaround time does seem ridiculously short, it does represent an improvement over what it was. And again, we'll see. Again, I think the union will vote to adopt it. Um, If not, then what's going to have to happen is the union votes it down. Then all the union leaders are ejected out of their office or, or, or resign because the deal they think got turned down. They're going to have to get new leaders in place, and then the negotiations are going to have to happen all over again. I think, again, I really do think it gets ratified. And then they go back to the table again in three years. And But we'll, you never know. I mean, I don't know that. I, I mean, I know a few people in the union. Everybody's grumbling a little bit, but the, I've been told they're going to vote to approve it. Um some, but I, I mean, that's just the exposure I've had. Maybe other people feel differently. So we'll find out, Anton. We'll find out. All right. Next up, Anton also writes, so there won't be a strike Monday, which obviously didn't happen, but there might still end up being a strike down the road. Possibly, but I doubt it. But it really looks like IATSE union leaders failed their workers with these talks, settled for scraps. Uh, again, that's not that's not the impression I get from the people I know who are in the union that I've spoke to. Again, did they get everything they want? They did not. But I think they also, there's an awareness that they weren't going to get. Like, whenever you go into any negotiation, you have to be aware you're not going to get everything that you set out wanting. That's just not going to happen. And I think they recognize that they had made some substantial gains. Now, I am not in the union, so I can't speak to that firsthand. I'm only kind of relaying what I've heard said to me. So I can't verify the veracity of that information. But it just seems like that's where they're going, and I don't think there's going to be a strike. Not this year. Not this year. All right, but we'll find out. All right, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, I remember the movie Upgrade was an innovative film. I thought for sure there was going to be a sequel. It made money at the box office. Fans were blown away. Last I heard, they were trying to make this into a TV series, but no news has come out. Do you know of any news? I do not. Uh, I do not. Rob, I mean, I know Upgrade, that was a real pleasant surprise of a little action film. I mean... Honestly, I thought the action in it was better than the overall movie was. 
Uh, like the overall movie's solid, but the the action is insane and crazy. It's got a pretty weird sci-fi ending to it, but whatever. But I'm not surprised that there's been no sequel. I mean, the reality is while it did well for what it was, it didn't do all that well that it demanded a sequel. Now, I still think there's a chance something comes along. I, I really do, but I have not heard any news of any further development. Have you heard any news of uh, another upgrade project no, moving but, forward? You know, no, and you know that was made by Lee Wanell, who worked with James Wan to create the Saw franchise, and yep. he wrote and directed that film, and he went on after that to go make Invisible Man for Blumhouse, which I really liked. I, I think Lee Wanell has been... I don't think he gets enough credit uh, as a writer and now as a director. He is definitely, I think, one of our best genre voices out there who's doing some original work. I think even Upgrade has been people have looked at it and it's already been ripped off a couple of times. And um, I have a really beautiful uh, version of it from Second Sight on uh, Blu-ray. And I, I really like Upgrade. It's not, like you said, it's not by any means a perfect film. But you know what? I really enjoyed it. I thought it had some verve. I thought it had some originality to it. Um, the first time I saw it, I was surprised by it. I'm like, I don't know where this is going. And uh, I really liked it. All right. Next up, we got Benjamin Mason who writes, Hey, John, have you perhaps seen The Guilty on Netflix? I watched it and wow, why haven't I seen anybody talking about this? Jake Gyllenhaal deserves an Oscar nom in my opinion. I thought the director did outstanding with pacing, completely surprised me. I have not gotten around to watching it yet, but I've heard nobody talking about it. I mean, that that's the weird thing. When I first saw, Rob, the kind of the spots where I was like, oh, okay, so this could be interesting. But then I heard nobody talk about it. Now, I've got one particular friend of mine who watched it and didn't like it at all. But that's the only person I've spoken to that, that said they didn't like it at all. But, Rob, I am surprised that literally, I hear no buzz about this thing at all. Have you? Did you have a chance to sit down and watch it? I haven't yet. Did you? No, I have not. All right, let me let me bring something up here. Uh, uh, let me just check this it's out. It's no squid game. It's no squid game. Um, let me see if I can pull up this thing. So where is it? Okay, so this takes place. Uh, da, da, da. I'm just trying to see what people were saying about it. And for whatever reason, I can't get the, the Rotten Tomatoes page does not want to load for this thing. Nope. Do, 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 do. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here wasting screen time, waiting for a stupid website to load, and it's not loading at all. So anyway, yeah, we'll move on from that, unfortunately. Oh, no, there it is. So, okay, so this is interesting. It's only got a 48 or 46% uh, audience score. It's got a, a better critic rating. It's got a 72, which is pretty solid. It's got a 72 critic rating, but it's only got a 46%. So you're seeing like a, a 26%, not that bad, a 26% difference between the critic rating and the audience rating, but the audience rating is not very good on it. So I, I, that would probably explain a lot why we haven't seen or heard any, uh, any buzz about it. So there's that. Uh, I'm not excited to watch it because it's a Netflix original. Uh, by the way, uh, HulaGoo79 sends in a super chat badge to live chat. Thank you, HulaGoo. Appreciate that very much. All right, let's keep going here. Next up, uh, Just Your Average Jose writes, The Ringer has a great eight-part podcast. The Ringer does some good stuff, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, The does. Ringer has a great eight-part podcast series about Siskel and Ebert. They are the founding fathers of movie reviews in a visual format. They absolutely are. Uh, they were influential to me in how to watch movies. Did they influence you in any way? Uh, would you like to know Rob's, uh, would like to know Rob's take as well? Well, I mean, 
Rob, we've talked before about this. Like when I was a little kid growing up, like that was, it was the, the first of its kind that I'd ever seen. Like guys on TV talking about movies. Like I used to watch that. And then I used to love watching Leonard Malton. I would watch entertainment tonight as a kid just to see if Leonard Malton came up. Because I I loved watching Leonard Moulton. Now he Leonard Moulton never had another person there to discuss with. Leonard Moulton was always just giving a presentation. But I used to love Leonard Moulton's um, movie reviews and entertainment tonight. And Siskel and Ebert. Um, Ebert is my all time favorite film critic. Uh, not because I agree with him. Because quite frankly, Rob, I disagreed with his opinion on movies about fifty percent of the time. But to me, the job of a film critic is not to say what I agree with. The job of a film critic is to express how they saw it and express it in a really effective, communicated way. They're really effective at communicating why they felt what they felt. And on that level, that inspired me. And I, I was always, as a kid, I loved movies, and they just helped deepen that love of movies. But anyway, Rob, like, how do you think Siskel and Ebert was influential on you if they were at all? Oh, my God, dude. Their first show, Sneak Previews, started you know around the time star wars came out and i watched it on i want to say pbs it was on pbs um till 1982 and it was at the dawn of the video era and the first time i ever got mad at critics they did a show on horror films and they lumped in things like i spit on your grave with the howling and i I was like so mad and then they of course they um uh, then they did uh, at the movies, and then Siskel and Ebert at the movies. I mean, they were hugely influential. People forget in Willow, Ron Howard directed the Lucasfilm produced Willow. There's a two headed dragon or creature in that movie called an Eber Sisk. <laughs> and they named it after Siskel and I Ebert. I did not know that. The Eber Sisk. Yeah, and you can buy the toy. You can get there's a there's a Willow toy of the Eber Sisk. And it was Space, it was named after Ebert and Siskel. All right. And by the way, his books uh, at the movie, his at uh, Roger Ebert's books, I have, I, I love them almost as much as I love Pauline Kael's books of, of movie reviews. All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Don Jay who writes, Hey, John, did you see the new Rocky Four director's cut trailer? I have not. Oh, um, Stallone, dude! <laughs> I have not. Stallone has apparently added 40 minutes of footage in this cut. Any interest? Honestly, no. Um, it's playing one night what? only on... Wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, let me finish the email. One what? night only on November 11th, and later will be on digital. I already got my ticket. But look, okay, first of all, you got to understand, I don't really care about director's cuts. I I don't care much about them. The movie that got released in theater is the movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I am super interested in DVD and Blu-ray extra content that shows deleted scenes and stuff like that. So on that level, yes, I'm interested just to see what other footage there was. But to me, Rocky Four. well, first of all, Rocky Four is already awesome. I love, it's probably my favorite Rocky movie. That or Rocky Six. But, um, I, I already love, but I, I, no, because, but, but that's just because my underlying thing is I don't really care much about director's cuts. Like even the Lord of the Rings extended cut. It's like, I like it. I like the extended cut very much. It's really interesting. But to me, when I think of what is Lord of the Rings fellowship of the ring, it's that theatrical version. That's, that's what it was. That's what you released. That's what it is to me. But anyway, Rob, uh, I, so I've not seen this trailer. You seem pretty excited about it. Tell me, tell me why. 
Well, first of all, this is my last episode of the John Campy show that I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I must I must leave on, on uh, under protest. No, I'm kidding. Um, first of all, I, I am not a fan of Rocky Four. I thought it was one montage after another. And I, when I saw the trailer, I knew Stallone was doing this. You know, uh, Coppola has been going back and revisiting his films both successfully and not so much. I didn't like the Coda, the Godfather 3, but I really like what he did with Cotton Club, and I can't wait to see what he did with Outsiders. And I hope he does it from one from the heart. But um, so the idea that Rocky Four has 40 more minutes, I knew, because I'm a fan of the Rocky franchise, man. I, you know, I saw the original Rocky in the theaters. I love Rocky two. I love Rocky three and Rocky four disappointed me because it felt so slight. And I love those characters and, you know, Apollo, well, spoiler alert, Apollo Creed dies in the ring. And I really think, I thought that even when I saw it in the theater, both Rocky four and Cobra were movies I felt were let down in the editing. They were cut to the bare bones MTV music video style, both of those films. And to hear that Rocky IV as a director's cut, and then when I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, like now it's going to feel to me like a real Rocky film with the emotion and the pathos. I know that's silly for me saying the ultimate cold war more so than rambo and he's like i'm here and you're here and if we can change and then everyone can change i'm like come on man so rocky four i'm looking forward to this director's cut john 40 uh, more minutes it's like a whole nother movie dude this might be your last episode i love rocky four it's my favorite of the rocky films anyway um Dude, I, I, I will watch the Jedi a trailer. Your favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah, absolutely, it is because it is the best Star Wars movie, and well-educated people will agree with me. But uh, I, I will check. I will check out the trailer. No, just the because trailer is really good. I'll have to I check mean, it, it out. It's really good, and and I, you know, it's funny. I keep forgetting there's a one night only Fathom event. I really do want to go see it in the theater. We should go. <laughs> you know what? Why not? So I, well, let me see the trailer first. Let me see the trailer first. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, next up, Jake G writes. Um, I don't understand why people who are already excited for No Way Home are uh, and are buying tickets day one want to see another trailer. If Toby or Andrew are shown in another trailer, wouldn't you rather be surprised by going into a movie with the crowd? Well, look, how do I say this without sounding vulgar? You know what? I'm, I, I just admit what I'm about to say is, is pretty vulgar, but it illustrates the point. Okay. So I don't understand, like, because I've heard this from a lot of people. If you're already looking for the move forward to the movie, why would you want to watch another trailer? Well, because it's a taste. It's a taste of what you're gonna get. That's like saying, and and again, I apologize for the vulgarness of this in advance, but it illustrates the point. If you're out with like the the girl of your dreams, and you know you're gonna have sex later with her. Well, you're going to have sex with her later. Why did you get a blowjob from her earlier earlier in the evening? You're just going to have sex with her later. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that is a ridiculous question. <laughs> because and that's what that's what saying like, well, if you're good, you know you're going to see the movie later. Why do you want to see a trailer? No, because people get excited about getting a taste. People get excited about getting a taste. Now, I'm not one of those myself, like I'm not like always dying for the next trailer or anything like that, but I get it. There's a lot of fans who are dying for that next taste because they, they love Spider-Man. They, yes, they're going to get the full thing later, but if they can get a little taste of it now, they want to get a taste of it now. So, Hey, that's, 
that's uh, my take on it. So I warned you that was probably a little bit vulgar, but I mean, it gets the point across. It gets the point across. Wow. Right. <laughs> I guess I'm sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next up. Thanks for writing in Jake G. Uh, next up, we've got Sam Fisher writes. The other week I tipped and I said that I just finished Eureka. Right after finishing Eureka, I started I started and have now finished Warehouse 13. Uh, have you seen it? I think I like it more than Eureka, but the first few episodes aren't great. Uh, it really picks up at episode four. I, you know, I do remember Warehouse 13, and I was a big fan of these little weird, you know, sci-fi yeah, network yeah. shows that would come out. I'm not going to lie to you, Rob. I, I didn't love Warehouse 13. What's interesting about it is I remember it starred one of the guys from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, it, it was not one of the regular cast members, but it was that short guy who was he was a collector of sorts, I think. And he was trying to steal data. He was trying to Saul, Saul Rubinick. That's that's his name. And it David had Fajo. Fajo. So I was interested. I, it was kind of cool. He was in it. I'll be honest with you. The show did not capture my attention, though. And I remember I fell off it pretty fast. Rob, do you remember where I was 13? Yeah, because I, I had some friends that worked on it. I mean, I, I thought it was, I, you know, I enjoyed it. It wasn't, you know, it 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 didn't capture my imagination the way some shows did, but it was enjoyable. It had good characters, and I, you know, I liked the fact that my friends really got, uh, uh, it helped their writing career, so they learned a lot on the show, which was good. All right. Next up, we got Tom Weyenberg who writes, I saw Spencer last night at a film fest at Film Fest Ghent in Belgium. Wow. Possibly the best of 2021. I'm hearing such good things about this movie so far for me. Superb direction and incredible story. Heavy with emotion. Teared up watching. Judging by this year's films so far, Kristen Stewart will get an Oscar nomination. You know, Rob, I remember when they announced that I mean, look, I believe Kristen Stewart's a very good actress. I've always thought that. But when I heard that she was cast to play Diana, I was like, that seems odd, like an odd choice. Like, I just yeah. I couldn't picture it, right? But everyone, not that I've spoken to 50 people who've seen the movie, but I've spoken about seven, eight, nine, ten people who've seen the movie. Everyone, it's like when I ask them about it, the first thing out of their mouth is, Krista Stewart's getting an Oscar nomination. Krista Stewart's getting an Oscar nomination. Like, that's all I'm hearing. Like, everybody's saying she flat out destroys this role. Like, she kills it. And I think that's, I think it'd be very interesting and appropriate if here we are now, so many names, so many years after the Twilight stuff, Robert Pattinson is now today one of the most respected actors in the industry. Like a lot of fans still haven't got over the fact that he was in Twilight because they've never seen all of his other work that he's done since then. But everybody in the industry, Robert Pattinson is one of the more respected actors in the industry right now. And if then now Kristen Stewart, after doing that horrible Charlie's Angels movie, um, comes out and gets an Academy Award nomination or hell, what if she gets an Academy Award on top of that? It's just going to be a really interesting thing. Rob, the, People you know and talk to, if you've spoken to anybody who's seen Spencer so far, what have you been hearing about it? I have not, but you know what? I Funny enough, Elizabeth and I watched that trailer this morning over our morning coffee, and I hadn't seen it. Spencer, it, it looks terrific. I was like, I was a little dubious, but she looks great in the role. I mean, I, I you know, I have a, a kind of a, a, a not love-hate because I don't know her. I can't hate her. But I've always been sort of lukewarm on Kristen Stewart. Sometimes when she's in movies like 
personal shopper. I I'm really fascinated by her. And, and I think she is a good actress. I mean, all the way back to things like panic room that David Fincher directed with Jodie Foster. Yeah. Where she played Foster's daughter. Foster's daughter. I thought she was really good in that. She was really good in that. And I think she looks incredible in, in Spencer and Elizabeth turned to me when the trailer was over. She's like, Oh my God, I have to see that. I'm like, all right, baby, we'll go see it. It's all good. All right. Uh, next up we go to, oops, we got lost in our spot here. Give me a second here. Um, that's spent there. Dangerous D writes. Hey, John, uh, like you, I was disappointed at DC fandom last Saturday. I thought we were going to, we were going to, uh, we were going to a zoom meeting with, with cast members, just like last year. I was expecting news about green lantern series, but I guess Cam Newton's hats were important. I hope next year's is better. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't think they're going to do one next year. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do one next year. Now, apparently, Rob, the numbers came out and they got like twice the viewers this year than they did last year. Well, yeah, because last year's was great. So everybody tuned in. I tuned in. I did, too. You did a whole live stream. Yeah, but and, and that and it was this year's was only four hours, which I thought was a really good move. Make it all one day, a, a big all killer, no filler. At three hours, at four hours, it was still all filler and no killer, or at least very, very little uh, killer. But um, so, yeah, it was building out the success. I I don't even know that they'll do one next year. If they do, I know I'm not going to watch it. I'll wait until five minutes after it's done and check YouTube for anything legitimate that they put out, and I'll just watch it then. I'm not going to waste my time again next year. So I don't even know if they're going to do one. Rob, over under 50% that they do a DC fandom next year. Oh, I, I think over 50% because people tuned in. Yeah, but again, I think they only tuned in because last year's was so great. And now everybody's disappointed, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to go under on 50. Yeah, I'm not going to say what? I'm not gonna say 10%, but I'll say under 50. They still, I mean, look, you know what, John? I have to say my fandom, like I watched the whole live stream of the Eternals red carpet, you know, and I really appreciated, I, I don't know who the hosts were, the two hosts that did that live uh, red carpet event they were really good and they really knew their stuff so kudos to marvel for that um and and i thought they asked great questions they obviously were incredibly knowledgeable so uh, again i don't know them although that redhead girl was really cute <laughs> but i mean she's like some science blogger or something i i didn't i don't know them but they both did a fantastic job i would like to see dc fandom be live yeah 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 that's to me that's the only thing that will then get interested in me do it live say come to st louis you know next next july in st louis we're gonna do a two-day dc fandom thing you know but i mean you do that i'll probably be there i'll probably get it's a virtual it's a virtual environment so i understand why it's hard to do live and they have a lot of people beaming in with pre-recorded segments i would say you know what you gotta abandon that Find a live interactive virtual fan dome you can put it in. But you know what? I understand it's hard to get all these people that are working on films together. At least have live feeds because it, it really hampers. You got you to talk to people live. The whole point of going to fan events like Comic-Con is you actually have the people that you're fans of in the room with you. And you can ask them questions. There's interactivity. There's humor involved. It's immediate. And that's what makes fan events fun. Watching pre-recorded stuff is, frankly, 
it diminishes the experience and it also doesn't do the job i think they hope it does yeah i mean there's I no mean, there's no spontaneity because it no. is all pre-recorded it's like okay so we can edit this yes okay let me do let me do that again blah 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 and it's just it sucks the life out of it whereas last year even though it a lot of it was all pre-recorded like again i'll go back to that wonder woman 84 panel one it felt like it was I felt like they just all got together in the Zoom call, hit record, didn't feel like they edited it. I mean, you could tell there nope. were some edits, but it felt actual, it felt spontaneous. It felt live. This was all very yeah. scripted, produced, heavily edited. Takes the life out of it. Yep. All right. Let's move on. Next up, uh, Matt Sifjata writes, this Matt Reeves Batman iteration provides an opportunity once again for a very interesting take on the Joker. After Lighthouse, the perfect Joker for Battenson would be Willem Dafoe. Uh, movie gods let it finally happen. Honestly, um, I'm over it. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. If they were to announce someday that Willem Dafoe was going to play Joker, sure. Um, but I don't think this whole X actor and X role, there is no one person that's perfect for the role. There's a, there's a hundred actors that they could date who would be a great who would do great and if if Willem Dafoe did play a Joker someday, I I mean he's a, he's an Academy level actor of course I'd be down for it but I don't think he's like the one guy I think a few years ago Rob some people did a lot of remember that fan art with Willem Dafoe's face but they painted it digitally as oh, Joker yeah. it's like yeah that looks awesome and that gets everybody excited but there's a lot of people who can play him other than Willem Dafoe but yeah if it was Dafoe I'd be down what do you think about that Rob? Well I mean look. I don't want to be ageist and I love Willem Dafoe. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is to live and die in LA where he plays Rick masters, evil counterfeit artist. <laughs> I love Willem Dafoe. I've loved him. Catherine Bigelow's first film, the loveless he stars in love it. But you know, as Joker, it depends you. If he's going to play Joker, he's got to be with a age appropriate Batman. I think which could be good, like Dark Knight, awesome, Dark Knight Returns or whatever, that could be outstanding if they ever do that. Like Willem Dafoe and Michael Keaton doing the Dark Knight Returns, I don't know how you'd reconcile that with the canon, but with the multiverse, who knows. But, you know, it's it's it just depends. But then again, I think Willem Dafoe can do just about anything, John. You know, I, I, I think about it, I can't reach it. He can but, do just uh, about anything. <laughs> I have my my Willem Dafoe. Wait, oh, here he is. I mean, you don't see his face, but I do have. Oh, I know, right? It's a third party figure. It's not a hot. I toy was gonna figure. say that doesn't look like a hot toy figure. No, it's uh, this was a third party figure, but I do love it. So, by the way, it's Willem's the fiend. Willem is sixty six right now. Willem Willem is at the uh, grand age sixty six and only getting better. All right, next up. We've got uh, Ryan Loner who writes, if I understood DC fandom correctly, the big new star of all their movies and shows is a spinning logo symbol. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so glad to hear other people wrote to me because, Rob, when I was doing the live stream, it didn't matter if I was on YouTube or on DC fandom's official website. I was constantly getting uh, buffering issues. And just to make sure what I did a speed test.net, I was getting like seven, 800 download. I went to other YouTube channels. Everything was streaming fine. I was only having problems with DC Phantom thing. And I was starting to think it was maybe just me, but then I started, I got a bunch of emails. I've been getting a lot of emails from people saying, Nope, it wasn't just you. We were having the same issues, but I don't think you had any, did you have any streaming issues? Like, was, did you have any buffering issues with it yourself? Uh, maybe a little, but it wasn't anything 
it wasn't anything uh, a little bit. I mean, a little bit. There was a few times, but, you know, I can only imagine how many people were watching it. I mean, we, dude, we take for yeah. granted our internet technology, but how many people were watching the show at that one time? Yeah. A lot. True. Uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to uh, John Ferreira, who has sent in like three quick super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, John. I appreciate that very much, man. All right. Let's move on here. Um, Scott Brown Rice. DC fandom was okay. It had some interesting stuff, but the highlight of the event was the Batman trailer. Absolutely. Uh, it was awesome. This is the Batman movie I've always wanted, uh, full of hate and anger. The hallway where he's taking gunfire. Wow. And that theme is incredible. Rob, it's not often that we watch <laughs> a trailer and I am haunted by the music in it. The music in that trailer was such a perfect marriage between the visuals in the trailer and what we were seeing. And it was, I, I'm not going to, I'm definitely not saying this is going to be the greatest Batman of all time. I don't expect this movie to be better than the dark Knight. but I will tell you this. It's the greatest Batman trailer I've ever seen. Like I, I feel pretty safe in saying that for me, it was the greatest Batman trailer I've ever seen. Rob, you've had a little bit of chance to marinate on now. What do you, what do you think about that Batman trailer? <laughs> i mean i mean you know they, they talked about there's more of a batman year one vibe again it's like okay after the 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 tim burton era the schumacher era the the christopher nolan era the Zack snyder era how are you gonna make batman new and unusual and fun or or unique for an audience and going back into a more crime thriller fincher-esque seven real world kind of alex Proyas is the crow i was surprised i mean from a year ago and then this trailer i mean this batman looks like an unrelenting mfer and i'm just like <laughs> i'm like bruh i mean bring that on i want to see a young batman who and I, I already like well Batman doesn't kill Rob I'm sure we're gonna get that but you know what dude I watched that trailer and I was like that end we talked about it when the Batmobile comes out of the flames oh and dude then Penguin is upside down and they've got the upside down shot of Batman coming and then the logo coming in Batman I'm like yes I mean I'm like yeah, yeah man that's what I want and the thing is here's here's what I don't get a lot of people are so I get uh, people send me the Simpsons uh, uh, meme, old man yelling at clouds. <laughs> but what I what, what I love what I love is all of the different interpretations of Batman. Like yeah. I've always loved it, and it it came out of. Um, I remember when Dark Knight Returns came out because I bought it off the rack. How different it was for people, and. It like that was it was so shocking, and then we got a lot of Elseworlds Batman, like Gotham by Gaslight or Vampire Batman or whatever, and and I think we're getting that on movies and film now, and I never thought that would happen. And I love these various interpretations. It reinvents the character. It makes him relevant for modern audiences. And when I'm seeing some some thug unleash with a machine gun on batman and it's bouncing off him like he has superpowers even though i don't i know he doesn't but he's got armor that he's created i'm like dude come on it just it how looked much, how much fun does this movie look it looks so good um and listen so guys, good 
We're going to actually uh, uh, need to cut today's shows a, a little bit short. I've got a, an engagement I have to take care of here. So we're going to today's show is going to be a little bit short, shorter than normal. But thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to come and hang out with us here on the John Campy show today. Don't forget the show will be back again tomorrow. Rob, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your thoughts on Eternals as well. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Uh, you can follow me on YouTube at The Burnett Work. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or, of course, on Twitter at Burnett RM. Thanks so much, Rob. And, of course, you guys can follow me on Twitter simply at John Campia. Uh, guys, don't forget, do come back tomorrow. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the Super Chat badge and live chat and those of you who sent in the uh, live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. Number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And don't worry if you sent one in and we didn't get to it yet. It's coming up, so hang tight. You're going to get to it as well. Guys, that'll do it for us today on the John Campia Show. Thanks so much for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.